Welcome to Babbling Books, a podcast about books and the authors behind them. I'm your host, Lily. You can find me on Twitter at Babbling Lily. That's Lily L I L Y. Come follow me. Also, please do subscribe or follow this podcast wherever you listen so you can get notified whenever new episodes come out. Today's interview is with L.L. McKinney, author of A Blade So Black and its sequels, along with numerous short stories. Here is Goodreads' description of A Blade So Black. The first time the nightmares came, it nearly cost Alice her life. Now she's trained to battle monstrous creatures in the dark dream realm known as Wonderland with a few magic weapons and hardcore fighting skills. Yet even warriors have a curfew. Life in real-world Atlanta isn't so simple as Alice juggles an overprotective mom, a high-maintenance best friend, and a slipping GPA. Keeping the nightmares at bay is turning into a full-time job. But when Alice's handsome and mysterious mentor is poisoned, she has to find the antidote by venturing deeper into Wonderland than she's ever begun before. And she'll need everything she's learned in both worlds to keep from losing her head. Literally. So without further ado... Hello, McKinney. Um, so welcome to Babbling Books. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, could you talk a little bit about your um, your book, A Blade So Black? Yes. Um, it's a book that pretty much both asks and answers the question, uh, what if Buffy fell down the rabbit hole instead of Alice? where it's a modern day, I like to call it a reimagining instead of a retelling, because it doesn't necessarily follow the original storyline of Alice in Wonderland at all. Um, Instead, we have a Black girl in Atlanta whose after-school job is to cross into Wonderland and kill monsters. That's what she does. As as one does. As one does. Just regular Monday. Um, And the sequel... The sequel picks right up after the first one um, because the first one, spoiler alert, ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. And so um, people are happy that the the second one, just we just go right back into it. And the fallout from everything that happened or didn't happen in the first book has to be dealt with. Um, people are missing People have to be rescued. Alice's mom is still not here for any of this. Um, so it's it's just things are ratcheting up. And now Alice has to just deal with the fallout of what happens after one of these big battles. And, you know, realistically, what goes down? Realistically, I say as if, you know, fighting giant monsters is a thing that we deal with in the real world. But realistically, in I guess theoretically, there we go. Theoretically, that's the word I'm looking for. So that's book two. So um, obviously, it's set in Wonderland, as in Alice in Wonderland. So did you end up like reading the original book a lot? Did you, um, or did you like just decide to back like that break from the source material? Well, I have read the original, both of them. Um, Uh, several times over my lifespan, though I will say I didn't really pick them up during the process of writing this book, either of these books, because I wanted 
to be inspired by it. But again, I didn't want to do a full-fledged retelling. So I didn't need to pay attention to particular details about that Alice's journey through Wonderland. Um, So a lot of what I did was in uh, watching and rewatching both Disney movies um, because those are the ones that most people are familiar with, right? Yeah. People know who Alice in Wonderland is, but of like, say, 50 people know Alice in Wonderland, maybe 10 people have actually read the book. So yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, I, I want this to be something that calls to people who maybe haven't read the book. Like, they'll be able to recognize certain characters like the Mad Hatter and Alice, of course. And yeah. uh, for people who maybe did read the book, they might catch some of the other Easter eggs that I've put in there. But it's not going to, you know, if you haven't read the book, this isn't going to detract from your enjoyment of the story. That was the that was the goal. Um. So why Alice in Wonderland? I've always been really fascinated by this place that's just topsy-turvy and kind of wild, but also mysterious and kind of hints at this danger that's out there um but it was never really explored because you get you know the Jabberwocky and the Bandersnatch and jaws that bite and claws that catch and all of that but then it turns out you know it's a dream or an acid trip or whatever it is you want to call it um but when Disney announced yield yonder years ago seems so so far away now that they were going to do a live action uh remake it was like, well, is this going to be a real world thing? Like, does this mean Wonderland is an actual tangible place? And so that that kind of spurred me into this whole, well, if it is real, how do these worlds interact if it's not some little girl's dream? Um, did you Have you ever read any other retellings of Alice in Wonderland that maybe um, inspired or influenced yours? Have you ever read anything similar or in the same vein as your book? I guess is what I'm trying to say. I haven't. Um, I haven't. I'm, it's funny because I'm not a huge fan of retellings, even though I ended up writing a trilogy for one. Um, nothing against retellings. Yeah. I just never really got into them. Uh, I, I like revisiting worlds. Like, say, you know, you had that series where... They're like, oh, well, here's Cinderella's daughter or Snow White's son or whatever. Those are fun because it yeah. takes the story and continues it and keeps going. Um, but I, I hadn't read any Alice in Wonderland retellings um, or reimagined. I think the closest I ever came was a few episodes of Once Upon a Time. <laughs> and I watched that, but I heard it was a disaster. Well, that's the thing is I, I heard... I watched the first few episodes of Once Upon a Time and it, it held my attention and I was like oh this is kind of cool and so I stuck around for like the first I don't know half of a season there ends up being like a, a dragon or something like that and you find out who Rumpelstiltskin is and all that good stuff but then it got really convoluted and I, I lost track of time uh-huh. and then there was like a Wonderland spinoff when people were telling me you know when I was shopping the book and I was like I mean that sounds cool but I never got around to watching it so yeah. And everybody was really excited because Sebastian Stan was the Mad Hatter. And this was also during the time when, like, Bucky was becoming a thing in the MCU. So, and that's who plays Bucky for anyone listening who might not know. Um, I only know because of my fan. My friend is a really big 
fan. Um, but that that's the extent of my uh, interaction with other retellings or imagining is a few episodes from the Once Upon a Time world. Um, so, well, I mean, speaking of pop culture, there's a lot of like pop culture references and it's like your books are really modern and rooted in the current day. So, um, was there a conscious decision to like write that into that or is it, cause I, I really enjoyed it. Cause whenever I read modern, I'm like, why aren't you talking about like, I don't know. Stuff that's happening right now. Um, it's, it's really interesting because there's this rule that you don't put pop culture references in books because that could date them or yeah like people who know about the thing won't know about the thing later on and it's like well there are certain things that are you know pretty um what's it called iconic where they're they're not going to go away it's just not going to happen so mentioning star wars is not going to date your book yeah um mentioning you know, a TV show that was really, really popular might date your book a little bit. But I mean, reruns and streaming are a thing. So maybe like Friends has had a resurgent. So if you write about somebody watching Friends, it could be set in the 90s. It could be set yesterday. So it all depends on other context clues in the story. And Alice it, like me, is just a really big geek. Like she likes Sailor Moon and she likes video games and she likes fighting evil by moonlight. It's a literal thing that she does. So I mean, there's no reason to not have her say or think or interact with these things. Um, one thing that I was happy with was where she there's an instance in the book where they're talking about the latest Black Panther movie. And I don't say whether it's Black Panther 1, 2, 3, or whatever. This could be Black Panther 15. We don't know. So I, I think that as long as you sort of skate the edge, it will it will enhance the story. Yeah. Um, so she's, yeah, like, like she said, she's like a, a big geek. And like that's something that I related to myself. And um, I was wondering, like, what does... Uh, Maybe this is not related to your book specifically, but what does like fandom mean to you? And how do you think that that, did you ever think about like reaction to your book in terms of like fans or cosplay or fan art? Kind of yes, but kind of no, because fandom is this, it's this living creature um, that evolves or devolves in some cases at will. And I participated a lot in fandoms um, much more back in the day than I do now. Like I was on forums and live journal when that was a thing. And I uh, came to writing, um, well, came back to writing via, you know, RP and fan fiction and things like that. And I loved really great, um, really great stories and pictures. And in the back of my head as a geek, you know, that was, those were the, the, the accomplishments, the achievements that for me is like, I've made it. People are drawing fan art. I'm good with that. You know what I'm saying? I'll take that. Um, or people like there was somebody who was tweeting like they have started naming ships for my characters. Yeah, it's that. like <laughs> this is amazing. Like this is stuff that I used to participate in. So it, it makes me really happy to see that. And I'm never fully prepared to see people 
interacting so excitedly and happily with the story. Not that I didn't expect that. Like you, you do it, you know, because that's that's what you want. You hope that's the reaction, but still seeing it is kind of surreal at yeah. times. Um. So I don't know if you have much time left, but uh, so recently, um, not recently, actually, this is a lie. I didn't say recently, but like, um, <laughs> there's like been a lot of discussion. I guess it is recently because of like the Oscars and stuff about inclusivity and diversity and like own voices. And that's like a really important thing that I think, mm-hmm. and you really do like talk about diversity and have di- like a lot of different people in your books. Um, and like, I don't know, could you talk a little bit about that? I guess. Yeah. Um, it's a very broad question. I can narrow it down if you want. No, it's fine. It's I didn't set out to write a diverse book. Um, that being a goal is like you're going to trip yourself up. Um, if you're like, I'm going to put these people and these people and these people in the book, like you're placing pieces you know in a collection or something it it, get, it comes across kind of weird and forced if you're doing it so you can meet a quota yeah um which some people do do but when diversity shows up people are always like oh you're just trying to meet a quota oh you're just trying to you know fall into the whole pc thing or whatever and yeah. it's like well you can tell when somebody say change their main character to be a black kid, you know, to jump on the diversity tree. That's trying to meet a quote unquote quota. quota. Um, So I just set out to reflect the world that I live in, which if you pay attention or if you're not focused on, you know, just your viewpoint happens fairly naturally. Like there are people, there's no reason why the people who are just wandering through the book who never say a word have to all be one, you know, thing. And then the people who do show up in the book, um, they're there because those are the people that are in my life. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's how I ended up with this story that has all of these characters because most of the people that I hang out with are queer in some way. So Alice has queer people around her and being queer herself. It's not rocket science. Um, So I I think that's one of the things that people, one of the reasons why people end up failing is because they set out to try and fulfill diversity as if it's a trend. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. Is Alice bi? I was like... Alice is bi. Um, She's bi. She's got them bi girl vibes. Um, She does. She does. And it's very much... It's not a thing that her or her friends really talk about. Because it's just a thing that is. Yeah. You know? (laughs) So she's just allowed to be. And it not be central to the book like she's like oh this girl is hot and moves on with her you know or she'll get butterflies around this girl or that boy or because that's what happens and she's not sitting here thinking about oh my goodness gracious 
I'm going to have this reaction because this is what is expected of me being, you know, this. So it, it's, she's, she's bi and I love it so much because there were, I would get questions from readers and I'm like, am I tripping? Is this me? Am I projecting onto this? And it's like, no, no. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I was, am I, am I projecting? Alice is confirmed by, yes. No. Um, and finally, like, are you working on anything new right now? Like, I this specific series. Yes. Well, I'm waiting for um, notes for uh, continuing with edits for A Crown Soul Cursed, which is the third book that will round out this trilogy. Um, and then I will be working on the um, Jane Eyre retelling, Escaping Mr. Rochester. Um, that I have coming out in, I believe it's 2022, I think. Yes. Um, where it's escaping Mr. Rochester, where, I mean, clearly he's the jerk off bad guy. Um, I'm actually just turned in the finalized script for my Nubia graphic novel with DC. Uh, I sent that email just before I got on this call, as a matter of fact. Um, so there's, there's a lot going on. And then later on in the year, I'll be working on the prequel for, well, what I'm hoping is one of potentially several prequels, because this doesn't follow Addison and gang during the Wonderland War. This is after that, but before Alice. So we get to kind of see other aspects of dream walking and how that works. I love him. <laughs> Addison is Addison is a favorite. Um, I've been asked, are we gonna get a prequel with him? Um, because his viewpoint pops up in the second book. Uh, we get to see things through his perspective. And so I would absolutely love to write an Addison prequel. Um, but as of right now, I've got a couple other things coming up. But should this world continue to expand and people fall in love with the series, I am I am here to go in as many different directions as possible. I love Addison. Addison's baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for coming on Battling Books. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much to LL McKinney for this interview and for being such a wonderful and kind and open person. LL's website is LL McKinney. That's L L M C K I N N E Y. And she is L on words. That would be E L L E, not the letter L, on Twitter. Go check her out and follow her. Please order a Blade So Black from your local independent bookstore. It's queer and fun and not at all the Wonderland you remember. Or perhaps it is the Wonderland you remember, but a lot more interesting. You can be real here. I read this book and I put it down and I immediately went to her website and I, I asked for an interview. Like that was what I did. The first thing I did after finishing this book It is that good. Um, thank you for listening to Babbling Books. I'm glad you joined me.